Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Bomb Podcast with me, James York, and... Ben Puxley. What? Who the hell are I you? I know. I know. I was considering doing the, the Ted Knudsen accent, but I don't think I've quite nailed it yet. People Who am I? Be, people are <laughs> going to be wondering what's going on, but uh, it's good. Ben, ben, original Stats Bomb host with uh, podcast host with Ted back in the day. Yeah. Uh, stepping yeah. in here. Uh, with Ted's, I think Ted's been in Madrid this week uh, at a football conference. And so we thought, well... We still need a Statsman podcast. Who better to get back in but your main man? Exactly. Uh, the original. Yeah. And yeah, welcome back, Ben. I think it's been a couple of years since you've been on. Like we did one some while back, so it's good to have you back on. Yeah. And, um, you're not you're not keen to talk about movies, I hear. Uh no, I am well, I this is the only reason I came back on for this this movie section at the start here. I had one <laughs> question about one question about uh, movies for James York's section here. If you think about what is your favourite film, everyone always answers it like a different way, you know? So I'll ask you it like this, because this is the true answer. Which film have you seen the most? Uh, probably Jungle Book, Disney. Oh, man. Yeah, but that's that's kind of like kid influence, though, isn't it? For you? No, but literally, literally, it was the first thing I ever saw when I went to the cinema when I was a kid. And my, when my daughter was two, she watched it about a thousand times. <laughs> so it qualifies. That's your answer. That's that's your answer. That's that's not a bad answer. That that's I'll take that. It's, it's a good I, was like, I was expecting something different. I was expecting like a uh, I don't know, like some kind of late eighties classic or something. No, I like don't that. know. It might be Fear and Loathing. I've watched that a few times. That was oh yeah, that's probably not a bad one. I think I'm trying to think what mine would be. I think it would be something... Have you ever seen Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind? Yeah, only once, though. Only once. It was very good, but it, it was uh, it st- struck me in the heart, Ben. It was, yeah, uh, it, it, does, it does It does. give you a little, you know, some of those feels, I think, so. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say that was mine, actually. And that's, right. that, that probably concludes the, the film section of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. That's two minutes. That's fine. I think we went on a little bit long last week, me and Ted, but... Uh, that's fine. We got football to talk about. There's plenty, plenty been going on. Uh, we're six games in. What does six games mean, Ben? Um, well, it depends if you're talking now, <coughs> excuse me, or a couple of years ago. I think a couple of years ago, six games used to mean a lot less than it does now on the old Twitter machine, if you can <laughs> put it like that. Um, it takes they are they are firing out all over. Yeah, the I can. I I do remember that if we think of such luminaries as, as Paul Riley and uh, amongst others, there used to be the whole little trick that you'd kind of wait for ten games. You know, now ten games seems like a lot now. It's a quarter of the season, and you know, I think we're all a, a little too impatient now, especially with Twitter. But six games is a very short span of games, which is full of score effects and schedule effects and quality of competition and littered with injuries and you know how many what your availability is within your squad like there were so many factors six games isn't a lot this is just my opinion you may well disagree here and yeah, no, this, I'm, this, I'm, this I'm moving towards uh, your end of things. I mean, you know, if you're if you're working inside a club and you <laughs> you actually want to know what's going on and make decisions, then one game's a long time. But you know, from uh, from the kind of like exterior view that we get uh, from the, this vantage point, like six games, yeah, you've really got to kind of pull it apart if you want to get good information out of it. I would say, uh, and 
you know, not just look at this kind of surface surface outputs and think like that's what what there is. There was, was a little thing I was looking at earlier, and I think yeah, schedule is something that's that's quite relevant here. It was like Leicester, everyone's like really quite hot on Leicester at the moment, and that's fine. They're they're doing well. They they look to be a good team. But I think like their expected goals like really quite similar to Everton's. Nobody's been warm to Everton's uh, performances <laughs> so far this season. And it's like yeah, okay, so like six games, they're four points apart in the in the league, yet. You know the narratives around them couldn't be further. Um, Everton had an easier schedule, so you know there's a little bit of that going on. But yeah, come back, come back in another six games, and it might be completely different. And uh, I think that's 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 something to bear in mind at this moment before we get too too kind of like confident into into what we've seen and reading into reading into the kind of the runes of the the numbers. Um, yeah, always always a challenge and always fun and always always interesting to see how things are shaping up. Um, yeah, th- yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, without trying to be too harsh and say six games is nothing, like six games is information. Every game contains some information. It's just trying to pull it all apart with all the kind of context and all the kind of things that go on in six game samples. Um, and especially at the start of the season as well. You know, you, you, yeah. you, you put six games into the middle of the season and... You know, nobody overreacts. Nobody, you know, kind of undersells teams. We don't get too excited about Leicester or, you know, we don't think Watford are dead in the water and all these kind of things. Six games spans are pretty short. Strange things can happen. Injury crisis can happen. Severe schedule effects. There's so many things that can kind of happen in those six games and trying to pull it apart and have some nuance and kind of all the rest of it. <laughs> you get more games in December than you, Ben. You do. This is the brutal schedule of December kind of hits, doesn't it? And kind of kills everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah more, you know, more games in December, and like uh, you know, nobody nobody kind of like frames it that way, I suppose. But yeah, um, we should look at um, well, since you know, since you're on, and you know, probably probably the the stats world's most uh, fa- most famous Man City fan, we should have a quick talk about them. Uh, obviously, they've blown the title already, having dropped dropped points in two games. Real shame. Uh, things are looking so well, and that's it. It's over. But uh, <laughs> eight 0 win kind of uh, warm to warm the cockles and uh, recover uh, from the Norwich loss. Uh, and as per usual, numbers wise, they look quite strong for six games. But I think with City in particular, and probably Liverpool in recent years, you could pick out any six game sample and look at their numbers and go like, yeah, they look pretty strong. Yeah, and you, yeah, you wouldn't be let down by them. Yeah, the the eight 0 win at the weekend. I can't really remember seeing much like that before. Five 0 after fourteen minutes or something. It was just absolutely yeah. bizarre, like crazy. But I think that's what happens if you have one team that's really on it, as good as Man City, and one team that's really off it, as bad as Watford maybe. You know, they were probably thinking back to the cup final, weren't they? You know, the six 0 there. It's like that will never, we'll not let that happen ever again, lads, eh? Yeah, and it's like keep keep it tight first ten minutes. We'll be all right here, and it's like. <laughs> 32 seconds in, you know, and it's all over already. There's um, no idea about the manager. Like, why why do they let the manager go before the trip to City? And it's like, that's a good point. That's a good point. You can let, well, let the old manager take that hit. Yeah, well, without, without we'll get back to City here. But that used to be always the old trick with managers. You'd let them take this terrible run of games. Then you'd have, you know, Cardiff, Norwich and Newcastle a couple of years ago at home on a run or something, you know. And you'd be like, okay, this is the time to bring a new manager in. You imagine coming back to Watford. Obviously, morale would be pretty bad. And like, Oh, it's only Man City away. This will be fine. It's absolutely, it's a brutal first game to, to throw him back into. But I think um, with Man City, numbers-wise, like, they're always going to show really well. You know, you're talking the expected goals and in the high 70% or where we've got shots on target ratio, shots ratio, whichever 
whichever method you want to look at, they're always going to look particularly strong. There is there is a few little quirks though, and this could lead back into into just six games or just stuff happens, or it could be something more. Uh, I think it was I think it was you that highlighted just before we came on here, like the rate of shots on target against the rate that the you know Man City's expected save percentage, if you want to phrase it like that, are really really way above league average, like you know. And it's, yeah, it's usually too too easy to leg leg level on them. Like you know, they still don't see many shots, which is typical, like six a game. But like the ones that are getting through are kind of like testing the keeper. And like, I think yeah, what we we got them down is like conceding six. Uh, no, yeah, conceding six from an expected goals of about five. But but like you know, so it's not it's not wild. It's not out out of out of the realm here. But no. and probably the Norwich game is most of that. Uh, in fact, yeah, most I think of so. That. So, uh, seven shots on target, which which again probably leads us back into that that little uh, point about samples and small samples and all the rest of it. Um, but you know, it's it's probably something to keep an eye on. I think the reason I bring it up is because of defensive injuries the Fernandino has not played defensive midfield this year for any great length of time Laporte's out for probably you know effectively the majority of the season Stone's injured again so there's a makeshift defence there there's a new defensive midfielder still not settled at left back so I think maybe you add these little things together and you look at some of those the rates that the the opponents uh, probably kind of cutting through Man City at the moment uh, and you kind of have that as a little a little something to kind of keep an eye on going forward but I mean we're really trying to pick holes here. If I if I look at some numbers here and you're talking, Man City can see 3.3 shots a game from open play. Like this is just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, yeah, like you, you can barely you can barely cut through them. You can barely pass through them. Ironically, they conceded nearly the same amount of of shots from set pieces a game. You know, so yeah. this this uh, you know if you if you turn on match of the day or you turn on any of these programs, this will be you know Man City will get beaten near posts on corners, and you can you know there's under markings an issue, and they they've not got the right height, and you know if that's if that's the one weakness in this kind of relentless you know deep machine, then I think you're just going to have to accept that and accept that sometimes shit will happen. Have you had your eye on their set pieces at all, Ben? Because uh, you know there's talk they got got a guy in in the summer to like look at set pieces for them. I was wondering. If yeah, no, I, I had, much. No, there was the yeah, I saw that. I think it was a job posting, wasn't it? There was there was making this mm-hmm. round on the on the Twitter machine. Um, you know, with with Man City's set pieces, could you change the defensive structure and the attacking structure? Probably, but you know, in terms of the defensive structure like this, Man City are always going to be a pretty small team. And, you know, there's a lot of set-piece delivery which is, is kind of, you know, delivery dependent. If if you come up against a good side and you've got a, a great set-piece taker and, you know, you, you are a tall team going up against a small Man City team, you are going to find, you are going to find edges, you are going to find advantages and occasionally you will, you will take that. I think that's just something Man City have to deal with. They're, they're going to concede goals from set-pieces. And you hope that the rest of, of their play, how dominant they are from open play and how dangerous they are from open play, rides you past some of those set-piece occasional occasional issues. What are your thoughts say. on Rodri, anyway, in, in central midfield? I, li- I liked him going in there. I thought he was a good, pretty decent talent in Spain. I, I, I would have probably happily signed him the year before without without the premium for, for having another year's adjustment. But... Um, yeah, just wonder wonder if you're liking what you're seeing so far, and if you foresee him as a good fit or not. Yeah, I I remember first seeing him at Villarreal. I thought he was quite good, and obviously last season at Atletico Madrid, he looked he looks very good. Um, 
it's a strange one with with Rodri because he doesn't. I think that's so used to Fernandinho of being this like monster that just kind of swallows up a circle of the pitch where you can't go past him and he just swallows everything up. It's going to take a little time to get used to it because he is a taller athlete, Rodri. He does look a little slower over the ground, even though he probably isn't. It's just that kind of you know trick of the eye, basically. I think I I really like his passing. I like his body orientation and his ability to get the ball off with either foot and get it off under pressure. I think he will probably end up being very, very good for Man City and a very, very long signing, if that makes sense. This could be <laughs> a, bit like, yeah, be. a bit like yeah, a bit like Silver and Aguero. Isn't yeah, the thing I, I always think so. about those boys is is they went went to City and like no point did they ever like get linked with Barcelona or Madrid or anything. Well, like, you, you're doing well there, lads. You, you, you're just happy where you are. And like, maybe Rodri's one of, one of them that's just going to settle and stay for years. I, yeah. I think so. One of the two things I want to bring up then with the stuff you just said is, um, is one, I would definitely agree with, with that. He looks like one of those guys that uh, could be like a silver on Aguero. And it, that, that's the great miracle of, of modern Man City, actually. I kind of think that they managed to get people like Torre and Aguero and silver and never got poached, never got picked yeah. up. I think that's it's, it's absolutely remarkable because they weren't always the 98-point team and, you know, four trophies in a year. You only have to go back to 13-14 or 14-15. Aguero would have been 26, could have easily gone to Real Madrid. And somehow they managed not to. And the other point is, just talking about Rodri that you brought up before, I think Man City have a, a little bit of a growing history of this, of not taking a gamble. They would rather wait one more year on a player and pay that extra premium for, yeah. for 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 the security for the for the absence of doubt for being having that little bit more probability of this is going to be a, a, a you know a kind of hit signing basically you know because there's no way that these clubs the big clubs in Europe now aren't looking at all these players three or four years out they're always yeah, on sure. the radar I think Mar- Mares was interesting to me in that regard because I felt you know, it it was almost a case of like, well, how come Maris hasn't hasn't moved beforehand? And when mm-hmm. they did sign him, it was like he's, he's just that little bit on the older side, and you know they, they don't really need that kind of player because they've got those that kind of player. And I think a year yeah. in, he, he he does seem just like an ideal rotation. Now, obviously, with uh, Sane going down, it means you know you need you need more kind of like flexibility in that kind of like wide positions and stuff. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it. <laughs> Maris is one of these guys who like he always shows up really well for like kind of like through balls and just like anything creative high up the pitch and it's like yeah he is he's just a useful fit a useful guy to have around and and it's it is a bit of a luxury signing in ways but you can kind of see why they made it and you know obviously with the Sani injury it kind of adds to as to his usage and things like that but yeah it was a very he's a very luxurious squad player there, there was an old tweet of mine I think it was from a January window when Man City failed to sign Alexis Sanchez and I I kind of tweeted <laughs> out that. I thought Man City had won a transfer window, one for avoiding Alexis Sanchez because it was too much money <laughs> and he was too old and for the same reasons for avoiding signing Mares. And I was like, oh, I feel pretty good about this, you know? And then in the off season, they go and spend all the money in the world on him. <laughs> and he's 28 yeah. and you were like, he's not really an improvement on what you have already. And it's like, why have we done this? But an, in- an interesting quirk that I noticed watching the second half of Watford, which was a training game and we can't really take too much from it, was seeing Morris positioned on the left for a portion of it. I've never right. seen that before. I've never no, seen, not for Leicester, not for Leicester or not for Man City, ever. I remember, yeah, I remember years ago writing an article about Myers and looking back for ESPN and like, um, like looking, look, finding a chart about his the way he progresses the ball out of the pitch, and it was basically like a, a straight line, like it's a kind of heat map of Myers's position. It was a straight line from like the kind of like wide touch line near the halfway line, like yeah. towards the goal, 
<laughs> that was just like that was just like the Mara zone. Where where is he on the pitch? Basically, kind of like shuttling back and forth between like kind of wide and the goal. And uh, yeah, very much very much a right sided player in that regard. Yeah, so. it, it it is something to keep an eye on in Man City because obviously uh, Sané featured not an awful lot last season, but uh, you know significant heavy minutes where they did go traditional left winger, left side, right winger, right side. You know they didn't play inverted wingers in every game. Yeah. And, and that's that's something that's completely changed with Sané going down because now it's Morris or Bernardo Silva every time and it's Sterling every time on the left. And that is Yeah. Sané's unique as well. I mean like I I oh, looked yeah. at this like in about I think March or April last year. He's about the only kind of like left-footed left-sided like forward if you you know if we, you, there are still a few kind of I think Dwight McNeil at Burnley was more kind of like left winger. He was like the closest, you know, for, for like how high he gets up the pitch. Uh, but yeah, Sane particularly was was almost unique in the league. Oh really? Yeah, no. in, yeah. In so far as like sure. you know, because all the left all the left sided uh, forward types have been converted to kind of like you know centre forwards or kind of right right sided inverted yeah. inverted forwards like you know Salah is obviously the the classic example. But so yeah, so get a left footed guy playing high up the pitch on the left in the Premier League, pretty scarce. So you know maybe maybe perhaps doing the same thing with Mario. Yeah, it's, it's a little it's... bit. Yeah, possible a trial in a soft game in a game that's gone. But yeah, I agree on Sane. He's he's a brilliant kind of zone shifter, ability to move the ball up the field uh, with pace. And you know, I think I think they'll miss that. And you know, it's, it, you watch the remember the old days of the, the Premier League with I don't know Jason Wilcox and Stuart Ripley for Blackburn. The <laughs> very you know the right foot on the right side, the left foot on the yeah. left side. I can remember this changed in hockey about ten years ago, where it inverted. They call them you know in hockey they call them off wingers. So you'd have a right side or on the left side you cut in and you have those dangerous shots. And literally, football will probably be the same in completely, I would imagine, in yeah, yeah. 10 years. You know, you still see a right wing on the right side now. It still does happen. It will happen more for, for cross-heavy teams, for example. But I don't think it will be something that is common in 10 years as it is now. No, no way. Yeah, I've got, I've got some, some throwback stuff for you. Um, I think Grace... Uh... Grace Robertson, who writes for Sats, she had a, uh, she's mentioned on Twitter something about like I think it was a reply. Someone asked like, hey, what what player wouldn't wouldn't be the you know as well regarded what old player in like the modern game? <laughs> I think she said Beckham because his position has just kind of like just disappeared like ever since uh, ever since he retired. You know that kind of like wide right kind of right midfield like, yeah. right winger type, and it's like it made me wonder because obviously Beckham Beckham used to try and try and turn himself into a central midfielder and kind of kind of did a little bit but yeah where would these guys be playing in, in like the modern game the kind of like back yeah. and gigs types like gigs would probably be like nah. an inverted in fact gigs started it the 99 be. final on the, on the right wing yeah. I couldn't believe that I spotted it when we did that little project a little while ago but yeah Beckham would probably be like what in the, the well De Bruyne's the kind of the, the proxy isn't it that kind of like yeah I think so player. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, gigs would gigs like under twenty five year old gigs would be the best inverted winger. You know, he was absolutely fantastic as an under twenty five year old player. Beckham would be an interesting one though, because you know, uh, which which high end teams are that cross heavy anymore? If you remember watching him play, it was all about mm-hmm. that delivery. His assist rate would. I mean, if you go back and the, uh, look at his assist rate per ninety minutes, it's absolutely outrageous. Beckham's like it's yeah. incredible. I absolutely hated him as a player, not because he played for Man United. I just never really saw it with him. I always hated the Captain Marvel stuff for England. Never yeah, yeah, really, yeah. never felt it with Beckham. He just didn't grab me. He just didn't <laughs> kind of get me in that way, you know. But I think it'd be interesting because who crosses like that anymore? No one does really. 
I thought in a, in a Stasier, Real Madrid, maybe. In a we'd have loved him. Do you know what I mean? We'd have been like, yeah. this guy's just setting up so many goals. He's just yeah. awesome. Absolutely. And, uh, and Lampard as well. Lampard's one that I always frustrated in, in uh, uh, frustrated me kind of in, um, you know, in the pre-start era. And like, you know, you actually look, go back and look at his stats and it's like, no, this guy was just chipping in all over the place. And it's oh, like, yeah. we'd have been arguing, arguing long cases for him. Anyway, let's get back to the future, so to speak. No more films. <laughs> Well, I could talk about that film quite easily. But anyway, um, <laughs> what about Spurs and Spurs and Arsenal? We kind of we had a brief look at some numbers uh, to try and get an idea of what we were going to talk I, about here. I want to hear you on Spurs here. I'm dying for this. <laughs> I don't, I, this doesn't have to be a deep dive, and we don't have to. <laughs> we don't have to trash talk. But I, I want to hear. I want to hear what's going on here. Well, it's been going on for ages, isn't it? I was, I was thinking about this. Like Spurs, right? When, when did Spurs last put together like a good string of numbers? Um, and it's probably like eighteen months until you since you looked at Spurs and like look right this is a team that you know takes like sixteen seventeen shots gives up eight or nine you know the expected goals are tracking nicely as are the you know the outputs and that's what they were they were they were that team for like two or three seasons in Pochettino and then last season. The results were great for, for half a season and the metrics were mediocre. The metrics picked up a little bit and the results went in the bin and then they got to the Champions League final. So it was like, right, I don't really don't know what's going on here. And then this season, results are kind of mediocre, but very kind of like skewed as to like home and away games. They've had away trips to um, City, Arsenal and Leicester, I think, and they've got, they've got two draws and a loss and not deserved a hell of a lot out of any of these games to be honest uh, certainly not the City game they're probably unlucky against Leicester with the offside and stuff uh, that could have, they could have easily won that so I'm not overly worried about that but yeah in like, in like raw terms like the expected goals against is like one and a half a game which kind of ranks uh, 14-15 in the league the attack looks fine uh, you know shots wise there's 16 against like uh, and like 6 are landing on target which 16 against and 6 landing on target this is just like right okay this is relegation numbers uh, at the back end um again the city game really does skew it a lot but even so you know there's there's been like i think three of the last four games or something i think they've they've just much arsenal have got a similar issue like this you just look at their their, their games like in isolation it's like right how many games are they going to be giving up like six or seven shots on target and then that's okay that's not okay at all yeah like yeah city game arsenal game Palace game, Leicester game, all seven or eight shots on target. And it's like, right, stop making your keeper work. Please just <laughs> stop doing that. That's not how to, you know, be defensively stable. Um, so, this I don't is, know. Yeah, this is where I'm at with, with, with Tottenham. And I, I agree with you. It's six games. There's schedule issues. There's also injury issues as well. They've been missing, yeah, mid, missing midfielders and fullbacks and options and rotating options kind of going up and down the lineup really you know you're talking probably about six plays a game really you know for the first first part of this season here but even despite that and despite some of the schedule issues and despite some of the the kind of injury issues i think it's the inability to kind of control games like you, you can't you can't look at numbers like 16 shots against and six shots on target against and the expected goals numbers against and and honestly sit there and say there's a modicum of control over games like yeah, obviously then you start to think about why that is. Why isn't there that control? You know. Yeah, it, it, I think personnel's a thing. I mean, like, I don't, I don't really want to be too down on the person personnel at the moment. But like, you know, the, the midfield issue. They've they've signed players like Lucelso's barely got on the pitch and got injured, and Don Bele played a bit, uh, got injured, played a bit. You know, it, there's still that kind of 
I don't know. The kind of like dominant defensive midfielder still kind of like feels elusive uh, from from the squad in ways. Uh, whether that's the whether that's the answer or not, I'm not quite sure because it feels like we've moved from a kind of like a four-two-three-one, which was the traditional kind of Pochettino setup, mm. to like more of a four kind of four diamonds, like you know, two four-four-two diamond kind of thing. And um, I'm not quite sure how that works. I'm not sure how sure if Winks is the answer. It's just kind of like this passing kind of like defensive midfielder. And there's there are there are too many people in the squad that are like about contracts running out. Like Alderweireld and Eriksson both on like expiring contracts. But uh, I'm not sure what was going on with Tongan, but his his contract was is expiring. Yeah. Danny Rose was, was like you know got left at home for for a tour uh, in the summer and you know to look for a new club. Serge Aurier has. I'm pretty much said, Sura said, like at some point he, he wanted to leave the club in the summer. That's the whole back four plus Ericsson that are all kind of like angling for moves. Yeah. And it's like, right, where's this? I'm not sure where the stability is is here. I I don't know. I, I don't like to lean too heavily into these factors, but, you know, the more that the results don't kind of like hold up, the more that you worry about this. Thing yeah. is, like they were, uh, you know, for this shape. <laughs> Yeah, basically, Sun's eyebrow uh, or knee was <laughs> away from being two 0 up at Leicester and winning that game, and there's no yeah. crisis. If they if they win that game, they've you know won three, drawn two, lost one, and you know the, the start of the season's fine. They've often started slowly. They haven't got their best team out on the pitch so far this season. No way. You know, Delhi Alley's been injured like on and off and barely seen time. Uh, for a long time as well. They've got a lot of options. They've got a lot of attacking options. Uh, it's really hard to kind of like pick the front six. Um, I think most fans would pick the front six and leave Sissoko on the bench. That doesn't happen. Sissoko plays. So it's 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 a curious one. Um, we'll see how it shakes out. Again, early days. But, you know, you, you really would like to see that defence tightening up soon. And yeah. just... Just stop giving the keeper so much work, really, and especially away from. Home. I think the front, the front end of the season, the first half of the season. I think it might be Chelsea. They've got they've basically played all of their all of the big teams away from home in the first half of the season, apart right. from one, and then it obviously it flips around the second uh-huh. half of the season. So there's this there's this weird skew of uh, of like tough away games uh, that you know kind of open up this this season, which which are always potential banana skins and you know even Leicester away is a game that you know any any team can potentially struggle in. of course yeah and uh, and yeah to roll it back there I definitely agree with you there's there's obviously some things going on behind the scenes Kieran Trippier was quoted kind of here in Spain about the feeling the need to have to get out and things like this so there's obviously a little bit of trouble at Mill but I, I'm, I'm with you on this I think you can talk about these things and you have to be careful not to make it the main reason that stuff happens which I think sometimes is a lot that happens a lot with newspapers, you know. You know, you've seen it in the last week with Pochettino, like, you know, the squad's old and it's been six years now and has to be refreshed. You know, this is this is way, way overplayed and given way too much importance. Could it be a part of, of the issue? Yeah, maybe, but, like, it's not the main, main factor. You know, you think about schedule, you think about personality, you think about finding that little bit of rhythm again. But we know kind of what football's like and you can get in bad ruts and bad runs and... You know, bad habits. So, you hope this doesn't stretch out too long. But I mean, if James Madison doesn't score a screamer, yeah, you know, with with three minutes left or whatever it was, you know, the, the conversation's a little bit different. It's not as urgent. So, but those numbers, those numbers are a little bit scary. As are Arsenal's. Like, yeah, let's be let's be Arsenal. I mean, I, I've I, I've already buried my own team, so let's go to someone else's team. Uh, yeah, Arsenal. 
I mean, I, this has escaped no one. Uh, I mean, and that's, something, that's one thing. I also, you know, we're sitting here saying, like, oh, people are people are getting a bit too much into the narratives early on. It's really quite good when people do like spot a narrative, spot a narrative in the numbers and like lead with it. And it's like, you know, uh, I had a little uh, to and fro with uh, Albino, Rob Bateman, who's uh, uh, works at Opta on on Twitter, and he was like, oh, the stories have always come from the stats. You know, we've been doing it for a long time. And I was like, yeah, but I think more and more people are, are tuning into it now and are spotting these yeah. things and looking for them. And, and that's that in its in and of itself is a good thing. That's and obviously, good. yeah, Arsenal's Arsenal's defensive work just looks really shaky at the moment. Um, like they've they've conceded more shots than anyone else, I think, in the league. And yeah. like again, like six and a half. Uh, uh, on target, I think expected goals against is what have we got it down? It's one point seven per game or something like that. I think bloody hell. <laughs> I'm not sure if I took penalties out there, so I might be being slightly unkind. But like, yeah, you know, the trip to Liverpool was a real beat down when they got kind of penned in their own half. I wrote an article about it. They got penned in their own half and couldn't get out. Uh, the, the Tottenham game was better, uh, certainly after half time. Then they they were strong. They did give up chances to Tottenham and obviously conceded goals. Watford was just insane, where they just got battered down and like ended up drawing two two, conceded thirty shots or thirty one shots. And then even even with ten men, like I mean, you can excuse them a little bit for ten men for half, mm-hmm. but it's still Villa and you're still giving up nine shots on target. You know, one point three xg and eking out a win. I mean, it's it's not. It's not what it's supposed to be, is it? Let's be honest. It's not great. I think the two most remarkable games that I actually watched um, this season, obviously Man City beating Watford, but I think well, I think it was an island for watching Watford versus Arsenal. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I think it was like the last 20 minutes where <laughs> Watford just absolutely like peppering. Yeah. And it was like, what is actually happening here? Like, how yeah. can you... How, they were just... It was like watching... It was like watching a couple of boxes where one of the one box just can't keep the other one off them. Like you just can't. It doesn't matter what you do, what what method you try and have. Arsenal just couldn't keep Watford from getting into that third. Big six teams do not concede thirty shots. Allow thirty shots against non non big six teams. It's like yeah, you go to Man City or Liverpool and they they have you know, and you're a big six team and they you know as Tottenham did at Man City because he loads yeah. of shots. But you don't, it doesn't happen the other way around. You don't get like no, Watford no barely got a point all season, like putting thirty shots on uh, on Arsenal. That's just insane. Really. And that's why it, that's why it was so surprising watching it. Literally, like had a mouth ajar, being like, "What are they doing? What is going on?" You know, again, you lead back into control and the inability to control games or the lack of structure or I, I, God knows. But whatever it was, it was brutal against it was brutal against Watford, and you know. The general numbers over the course of these six games, yeah, they're getting schedule and red cards and these things play into effect. And Liverpool at Anfield super difficult, but you can't be looking at that and being particularly pleased or or take any kind of comfort from it going forward, really. But these, some of these some of these things will shake out. They'll smooth out, obviously, you know. So. Yeah, but like you know, again, it's it's you just want to see some evidence of like yeah, like can we just have a quiet game where like teams just don't lay a glove on us at all? I mean, yeah. you know, it's like the three real difference like three games that they played away, they've had like you know seven, nine, seven shots, and then the three games they played at home, they've had sixteen, twenty six, and twenty one. So it's like that same old problem that you had had last year where they, they felt like they were much stronger at home than they were away. And I remember 
And I've mentioned this before, but Emery had a season in uh, in Spain where he didn't win an away game all season. Yeah, that's right. And I remember trying to work it out. And it's like, well, why? What? What's? What? What is this? And I looked at it, and it was like all his other teams look, all the other seasons look kind of like normal. It's like I can't work out why this happened. But then you look at Arsenal last season and how bad they were away from home. And then you look at Arsenal this season, and again, like away from home, it's like right, okay, this isn't good. And you think what? What is it? What's why? Why are they so obviously bad? Well, yeah, home? I always find this a fascinating question in general. Like, obviously, there's a specific one with Arsenal. I remember uh, probably a couple of months ago, I saw a quote from Wenger saying, "I, he, you know, he was basically astonished. He could never understand why teams play different away than the home." Like, it's the same pitch, yeah, <laughs> he it's can like it's just, I know he can, exactly. But well, the, the end point of it is, these Arsenal teams were terrible away. But and this, I guess this is the point where managers are like, I tell them to go out and do the same thing yeah. every time. And it doesn't, you know, home home advantage, away advantage, you know, you're probably, depending on which metric you're looking at, it's like a 55-45 split, whether you look yeah. at expected goals or shots or whatever the, what the split will be. So it does exist over the course of a league and different leagues and different teams all the rest of it. Yeah, I think it's, I, it's about three shots, which is actually about 0.3 in XG, like the, the home advantage, I think, when it kind of, when you kind of peel it apart. and So it, so it, it is... Yeah, it is curious. I mean, you know, you'd even you'd even look at the team as dominant as Man City, and you go and look at their numbers from last season and the difference across the board, whichever metric you want to look at. The the you know the difference between home advantage and away advantage. There's obviously some kind of team psyche, you know, refereeing advantage, home advantage, crowd. There's something in it, but some teams are significantly worse than others. Emery is a prime suspect that without a win in an away game is just astonishing when it happened in Spain. And like what we're talking about at the moment, they're taking barely any shots away from home. Uh, their yeah. away form last year was 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 pitiful. You want to see them go and have an away game against, I don't know, a Bournemouth, where you go and you control a shot count 13 to 7 or whatever else. And you, <laughs> the expected goals is significantly your favour. And I think if you're an Arsenal fan, you can look at that and be like, right, that looks okay. There's a plan here. This, you know, you can go forward and actually get behind this. But at the moment, it's just Jekyll and Hyde. Well, what have they got? They've got. Well, they're away at Man United on Monday. That's a Monday night game coming, and then they're and then they're home to Bournemouth. So the dream, your request, is not being accepted there. Away to Sheffield United, Monday, October the twenty-first. Are we going to target that game for an Arsenal thirteen shots to seven one nil win? I wonder whether they, I wonder whether they could pull one out against Man United. Like I don't know how much you want to talk about Man United. I could probably talk all probably talk about next hour in between laughter and you know guffawing and things like that. But um, you know, I wonder whether someone like that. It's tough to know. It's very early in the season. Half these teams look terrible. The other half look great, and then it's going to flip around in a few games. So it's difficult. Like. You got any, but, here we go. We could move to Chelsea. You got any opinion about Chelsea at the moment? It's rooted in mid-table, and the Lampard experiment kind of lumbers on. I'm looking at their numbers, and they're looking okay. I mean, they, they, it's like this is encouraging. I mean, I'm looking at the league table, I'm looking at the goals against column, and it looks like hell on earth. But I'm looking <laughs> at the numbers, and it's like no, we can transcend. We can, well, we can we can build on this. It doesn't look too bad. Well, you know. It's, Ted had probably lose his mind by me mentioning this word next, but they're probably getting a little bit PDO'd, if that rings a bell. <laughs> the, ra- <laughs> the rate that the opposition's score their shots, uh, you know, the rate that Chelsea failed to score their shots, you know, that kind of thing. And there's a it, little, there's- it, is, it is crazy, yeah. Look, I mean, yeah. We, can, we can just boil it down. Yeah, they're conceding 2.2 goals a game on average and 3.8 shots on target. So... 
yeah, yeah that's insane. That's, that's, that's that, crazy. that doesn't last. Whatever happens, no. you know, however, however you want to peel it apart. I mean, what's their expected goals? Yeah, one point. Yes, they're about a goal a game more than expected goals. Yeah, like what, which, what they shipped. So which, far. which is crazy. And I and I, <laughs> I I wonder whether if you you know by the end of the season if you split every team's kind of form out into six games chunks, I wonder whether you'd find a run that bad for a team to concede at that rate beyond their expected goals. They ain't, yeah, there's not going to be many at all. That's, no, I don't is, think so. Yeah, you'd get if, two or three maybe. Yeah, over over literally six-game rolling average for every team over the course of a season. So we're talking about Chelsea here and talking about the rate that they're conceding goals is pretty unlikely to continue at that rate. But I, I agree with you. If you if you look at the, some of their, their shot rates and their expected goals, it seems fine, like, you know, and you... You watch them, I don't know, when you kind of watch them, it, it feels, I don't know, I sometimes watch them and feel like they're a little bit lacking in talent. I don't know if it's because there's so many young players that kind of, that falls you a little bit into thinking they've not got established talent. They do have very good young attacking players. Mason Mount looks great. Um, and I don't know. I think he's probably going to get somewhere with this Lampard, but it's how long it takes him to get there. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you look at Chelsea, like, you know, you think of Chelsea and Man United are the same, and even Arsenal to a degree. And you look at you look at these teams now, and you look at the lineups, you know, they send out in a game, and you think, my God, these teams used to put out like world class players in most positions. And you look at yeah. look at these teams now. I mean, like you know, Tottenham are in that same group as 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 you know these these other three teams in the kind of like you know the not Liverpool, not Man City teams. Um, but Tottenham haven't got that kind of uh, unfortunately haven't got that kind of heritage as being like you know a team that once had world class players in every position. Um, and yeah, I mean Arsenal, you have to go back quite a long time. Man United probably a little less. Uh, Chelsea probably not that long at all, really. No. Uh, to, to think that you know that they have the depth of talent, not just in the starting lineup, but in the in the kind of on the benches as well. Yeah, absolutely. And now you now you look at their start, the starting lineups of all of these teams, and you think like they you know they're a, they're a bit light compared to what they used absolutely. to be. And this is this is why they're not contending so regularly. No, not, for sure, not like, this you, season or last season. I think. Or whatever. I think it was the Chelsea, the Chelsea Man United game where someone had done a photo, a screenshot from I think it was like 2011, yeah, yeah. and he saw the, the Chelsea's midfield was like Balak, Lampard, and Essien, and he were like, yeah. "Geez," <laughs> like, and then the midfield this time, you know, was was, was Mount Jorginho and whoever else it was. So it, it has been. I think if you do look at Man United and Chelsea, probably the most recent example of a kind of a talent downgrade. Now it, this just could be it just could be the end of a cycle and you kind of building back up. And I think which is why Lampard's there. You know, Chelsea. Have, for years, have had a like fabled academy, and uh, you know some very very high quality players coming through. I think the reason why some people might not notice it as much because there's not been that one absolute gem that comes through. You know, you don't yeah. hear that one Foden. You know, like Man City might have, or there's not that absolute kind of killer player. But the 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 quality and the, the kind of the quantity of that quality Chelsea producing in the end will tell. It's just about time with Lampard. If he's gonna get given enough time to kind of do this his way and blood some of these young guys. They're going to massively benefit in. I think, a yeah, of years time. I, I, I think they probably will give it to him. Well, I, I, I mean, I think we had me and Ted had a friendly wager at the, the start of the season that he took Arsenal and I took Chelsea on the, on the, you know, to do better this season because people were really quite down on Chelsea to start with uh, before the season. But um, I think Hudson Adoy amazingly came back in in midweek. I mean, I thought he was yeah. out for a lot longer than he actually was. Uh, he came back in midweek, so that's another option. You know, Pulisic has, has not. Uh, started as many games as I think the the US audience would would mm. like certainly. Um, yeah. Conte obviously was back uh, back for the Liverpool game. You know, obviously a massive player wherever they play him. I'm I 
perfectly happy with him playing kind of box to box role. I think, uh, you know, the, yeah. the the story about him, you know, the idea that he should has to play as a kind of like sitting DM is uh, is uh, I quite happily row against that. But and yeah, yeah the goal too. he scored against Liverpool obviously uh, happily kind of endorsed that. But yeah, you know, there, there's a few little players that they've missed missed in the early part of this season that yeah. that could actually be useful useful. I mean, I don't know when Loftus Cheek's back, but you know, just another option in that in that of kind course. of field attacking I... lad. There is there is quite. I don't know. It's not. It might not be as good a squad as it as it has been in the past, but it's, it's still fairly deep that Chelsea squad, and I think that probably gives them the edge over United and Arsenal going yeah. forward. I would agree, and I think it's probably it's probably quite interesting for Chelsea fans here to see something different that isn't William and Pedro left and right every single game, you know. And I think I think Hudson Odoi might be might be a, a kind of key piece coming back here because if you start to look at it, obviously Tammy Abraham's kind of started on fire. Hudson Odoi looks like a genuine, you know, kind of tier tier one prospect. If he comes back and hits any kind of form, those two would be. You know, tremendously exciting to watch in any kind of front four that Chelsea put out. Pulisic is a bit of a strange one, really, because I think obviously the money comes with the, the price tag he came with. I think they thought he'd probably start a few more games here, so that's probably something to kind of keep a little eye on here to see what's going on with that. But they've, they've got they've got a deep prospect pool, and if if he can keep it all together, Lampard, and kind of keep those results ticking over in two or three years' time, like this, going to be it's going to be a cracking group of players that Chelsea will have for sure. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> that's fine. We can we can live with it. Hey, you're in yeah. Barcelona still, Ben, aren't you? So I am. That's uh, we true. could we could switch. What's going on with them at the moment? It's all been a bit. It all looks yeah. a bit sketchy. They're terrible away from home as well. Dave, I saw something of not one in nine games. I think away from home now. Is it that bad? Uh, Bloody hell! Yeah. Uh, I mean, they they scraped against Villarreal at home the other day, but Messi re-injured, thigh strain. Yeah. Indeterminate recovery time. Um, which is amazing, really. We've been so lucky with Ronaldo and Messi never get injured. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's you true. Isn't I was thinking about yeah. that. That's another conversation that went around Twitter, Twitter the, the last week or something. People were saying, oh. like, if Messi and Ronaldo didn't exist, who was, like, the best player of the last decade kind of thing? And it was actually quite hard because when you when you look look at, like, Ballon d'Or list, it's all Messi, Ronaldo, and then kind of, like, a and few Neymar, and, 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 yeah. and it's just, it's it, there isn't, like, you know, really obvious pick and... Uh, I think my 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 like lean into that was like how good would Benzema have been if like he he was the leader of that team and that kind of thing, but yeah that's I didn't realize they've been quite so bad away from home Barcelona. Yeah, that's it's been it's a it's a very very curious one. Some of this you know obviously this I think it's three or four home three or four away games now baked into that without Messi you know, you know kind of yeah. playing. He came on forty five minutes a day two 0 down, but he's obviously not fit and clearly he's broke down one game later. Um, but there's a lot of. There's a lot of very strange stuff kind of going on at the moment. There's PK in the press today criticising the board for kind of sending on a, this huge rambling tour and it wasn't the best preparation. You know, right. and PK, <clears throat> PK isn't just kind of one of the captains of Barcelona. He carries a lot of clout and a lot of future clout. People think he's going to end up as a, as a future president of Barca. He's listened to, he's, he's, you know, his kind of words are taken in. Um, and you've also had the thing that happened yesterday as well with Puyol turning down the, the sporting director or the technical director of whichever way they call it here in Spain or the translation. He actually turned right. that down. He turned that down today and says it's not the right wow. time. This is because elections are looming. There's elections in 18 months and that kind of changes everything. Right. That, that affects managers. And there's a lot of Barcelona fans here thinking Valverde needs to be put out in the street and kind of gotten rid of this. It it's does odd, isn't it? He's, he's clung messy. on. It, it, it's weird. They've they've been 
at times the, the results have been pretty solid, um, like you know, league title wise and such. And then you know, free, kind of these freakish uh, two-legged Champions League performances. Obviously, you know, they've, they've kind of like walked into a rake a couple of years in a row, which is just as odd as anything else. And, yes. But but you still felt that like Valverde would probably not get through get through the summer, and he did. And yeah, now now obviously quickly under pressure because the results have just been kind of really a bit shonky so far this season. And again, the performance is just like, you know, taking seven shots away from home in this kind yeah. of It's like, what are it's you absolutely, doing? It's absolutely bizarre. Like, I think the reason he survived in the summer is probably the same reason he'll still get a little bit of time now, that there isn't a viable alternative. Right. There isn't. They're not going to go out of their comfort zone and hire you know, uh, an up-and-coming German manager or Roger Smith, they're just not going to go and do it. There has to be a connection. There has to be an old player. It has to be someone kind of, you know, uh, steeped in the club. The last time they went away from that was Tata Martino. There was kind of, you know, messy, some kind of friend connection with him. He lasted one year. It was terrible. You know, they, they gave the ball up loads. He didn't want possession of the ball. It was, it was just a wreck. They're not going to go back and do that. So this is why Valverde probably gets some time. But, I mean, it looks so disjointed. And it's so slow, especially when they're chasing games. Mm. You know, they're literally that ability that great teams kind of always seem to have, whether it's in Spain or whether it's in England, where you are chasing a game and you have that tempo, you know, you have that speed to be able to kind of cut through and create chances. They looked so slow against Granada, moving the ball in that kind of U shape, not having any penetration, not moving between the lines. It looks very disjointed at the moment. Like some of this is injury. Suarez was out for a while, just come back. Messi was been out for a while. Then Bele was out for a long time. So, you know, some of this could be to do with that. But it's the worst start of a league campaign in twenty five years. Wow, that's that's. I didn't realize that because I remember. I mean, I remember looking at some like late nineties league tables and and like. Uh, you know, Barcelona, Barcelona win the league despite losing like 10 games. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It would never happen this, these days and stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's quite odd. And it's funny, isn't it? Because almost by default, like, you know, odds kind of... Last season in um, La Liga was quite strange. Almost by default, like, suddenly Real Madrid are top of the league. And it's like, okay, I thought they were struggling, but <laughs> they're top of the league. And yeah, I don't know what's going on. No, it's a strange one. It's, you know, I heard someone here say the other day that they, they hoped it was going to be a year where, uh, like a year where Leicester won it, you know? Like yeah. Bill Bow, like it had Bill Bow somehow managed to maintain this form. That's obviously not going to happen. It's a, it's a weird time in the Liga. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of teams kind of coming to the end of the cycle. Real, uh, Atletico Madrid kind of blew it up and went young, you know, mm. invested some of that money. Real Madrid basically didn't blow it up they kept all the players anyway and signed yeah. loads <laughs> and signed loads of good a- a- attacking talent uh, you know Ted was lucky enough to be in the burner bar yesterday was he was he there. was and he saw uh, Vinicius and um, Rodrigo came on and scored within like a minute <laughs> yeah it's one, one of the great stadiums you ever get a chance to go and watch football there four tiered stadium it's absolutely incredible but um, you know they, they have Rodrigo who looks very exciting they have Vinicius who who scored yesterday and then cried his eyes out for a minute, which was absolutely bizarre. I think he was, I wasn't he, he was getting uh, whistles before. He, he was, a, game, he was he? a little, yeah, there was a little bit because he, he, he tends to be a, he, yeah, he step overs, I, I thought of it in Spanish then, and bicicletas. He does a lot of, he does a lot of step overs instead of being a little more direct and a little more cutting, you know, but he, these are tremendous talents. Like Jovic is someone I'd have to see a little bit more of, you know, but, uh, Having seen a little bit of Rodrigo and, and Vinicius, they both look fantastic. Like both so young as well. So their Madrid kind of retooled this year and went younger. Atletico Madrid kind of blew it up and have gone younger. Barcelona didn't 
really do anything. They yeah, sign. So confusing, aren't they? And you've, yeah, they've they, actually turned over a few players recently. They signed Malcolm last year, and he's never worked. And then he went the yeah. chips on stuff and, like that. It's like and oh. they signed they signed Griezmann, and yeah. I don't know what what your opinion was. It I think he's a decent player. I think he's a good player, obviously. But it felt like something he didn't need to do. He was the wrong yeah, age yeah. for He was the wrong age profile. You know, he was twenty eight uh, coming in. Suarez is thirty two, thirty three. And you know you're only going to get four top level years max out of it. I know. I like, don't. This is this is money. my point. Like, find you don't need Griezmann. Choose whoever is Griezmann's equivalent who is 24 years old and spend that money on them. Yeah, and just and just you know take I mean? that and take that punt. And then and then what they end up doing Barcelona as the summer kind of works its way through is they end up kind of half chasing Neymar. You know, there's obviously a lot of like pressure from inside the club. Apparently, a lot of the players wanted him to come back and this kind of thing. But they would Barcelona would have been able to do that transfer if they hadn't gone straight away on July the first or whatever day it was, um, August the first, and gone and spent all the money on Griezmann. It just it was yeah. it was like it was like no no logical planning. You know, you, you think about the way football clubs are run now. If you, if you watched any of the Man City documentary last year about their plan and their their four year kind of transfer plan where they would track people throughout four years, I don't think any of this is happening as far as I'm aware, at Barcelona. Because you look from the outside looking in, I don't know anything secret, the outside looking in, it doesn't look like there's a coherent plan from year to year, or even if we look at this summer, from week to week, about what they want to do. So it just, and it definitely feels like the end of a cycle, you know, uh, over the past, over the number of years doing this podcast, it always talks about this day will probably come for Barcelona, where Messi, Suarez, Piquet, Alba, you know, uh, Busquets, these guys all turn 33, 32, and this will be the end of it. It just will. That said, it, Ben, it's only six games. It's, <laughs> no, it is, it is only six. It is only six games. And I'd be less, <laughs> I, I'd be, I'm less concerned about their start than I am about age profiles and how we retool that team going forward because that that is some job, like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's, there's aspects around it. that Again, it, it kind of leaks back into last season with the away games and, you know, just kind of like slightly being dodgy. Like, the cha- they played in the Champions League, didn't they? And they, were, they didn't play well there at all either. Was it Dortmund they went to? Oh, yeah, it was nil-nil. But, yeah, Dortmund oh, yeah, had this yeah, cra- crazy, just had amazing, like, quality chances and, and just, like, you know, somehow couldn't score. Um, right, we should probably wrap up there, Ben. I think that's pretty good. We should probably also announce that, like, because we got the Statsman Conference coming up on October the 11th. And you're coming over. Am I coming I over? Get you on, if I can get you on a plane. <laughs> you'll, get me, you'll get me on a plane, all right? It, it better not be cold. It was, it was 26 degrees here today. Was it? Be, yeah. I don't want to be hearing anything about 12 degrees or anything Yeah, it, like might be, it might be a bit more like that. <laughs> um, But yes, um, so tickets are still available. Anyone wants to come. We've got a great line. We've got loads and loads of um, like kind of uh, speakers doing research. We've got people doing panels. We've got uh, like you know featured featured uh, researchers, featured speakers. It's going to be a really good day. Ben's going to be there. We're going to do a live podcast with really? Ted and uh, yeah, that's going to be so, good. So uh, that's going on. There's also a course the day before I'm running. So if you want to come and learn about what we do at Statsborn and stuff, then do come along and uh, have a go at that. Those are always good days too. Um, yeah, apart from that, Ben, thanks for coming on. We're gonna have, probably going to have you on a bit more often, aren't we, as, as we go forward? Because basically, Ted's insanely busy. I mean, I'm insanely busy too. We're all insanely busy, but you know, we're still going to get a podcast out. It's kind of absolutely. So yeah, I think there'll be. I'll try and improve that Ted Knutson impression just so I can fool people. So yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right then. Thanks for coming. All right. On, ben. Cheers. Take care. Bye.